When sharing your faith with a Latter-day Saint, it helps to know what their church has taught on several basic topics. For this reason, Mormonism Research Ministry has provided its Crash Course Mormonism. Crash Course Mormonism includes concise articles highlighting what LDS leaders and church manuals have taught on issues that will probably come up in a typical conversation. You can find these informative articles at CrashCourseMormonism.com. That's CrashCourseMormonism.com. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Is there a connection between the Plessy versus Ferguson Supreme Court decision and Mormonism? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we are continuing our thoughts from last week when we were discussing Jane Manning James, who was a black member of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She spent much of her life living among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, even though it says in an essay called Jane Elizabeth Manning James, which is found on the official website of the church, churchofjesuschrist.org, that racism was an obstacle Jane would confront the rest of her life. So we're talking about the problem of race and how it affected the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In yesterday's show, we were talking about the rise of the influence of the Ku Klux Klan, and it's mentioned in a book that we're looking at called Saints. This is the third edition of Saints. There's four of them total, and this one is subtitled Boldly, Nobly, and Independent. This particular volume, Volume 3, was published in 2022. As of this recording, the fourth volume has not been released, but it's talking about racism in the 1920s, and at this time, looking at page 244 in the book, Heber J. Grant is the president of the church. And as I mentioned yesterday, he was president of the LDS Church between 1918 and 1945. So the book goes on to say on page 244 that throughout the 1920s, hate groups fed on widespread racism, which could be found in every region of the United States and in other areas of the world. In 1896, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled that state laws allowing the separation of white and black Americans in schools, churches, restrooms, railroad cars, and other public facilities were legal. Though it doesn't mention the decision, the decision was the Plessy versus Ferguson decision. The reason why I asked the question at the beginning of the show is, what's the connection here with Mormonism? Well, I hinted to it at the end of yesterday's broadcast. The individual involved in this case, his name was Homer Adolph Plessy. And according to History.com, the website of the History Channel, Homer Adolph Plessy agreed to be the plaintiff in the case aimed at testing the law's constitutionality was of mixed race, it says. He described himself as, quote, seven-eighths Caucasian and one-eighth African blood. What's the connection with Mormonism? Well, 
at this particular time, it was believed by many Latter-day Saints that if a person had just a very small amount of black blood or Negro blood, as it was described, they would be barred from holding the priesthood. And of course, the ramifications of that were faced by people such as Jane Manning James. She was a black heritage, and because of that, she was not allowed the same privileges in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as many other members who were not of African heritage. Now, where do we find this? Well, we find a statement from one, Wilford Woodruff, who was the fourth president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, It's recorded in his diary, and you can get a copy of this book. It's titled Waiting for World's End, The Diaries of Wilford Woodruff. And in this particular portion, Wilford Woodruff is making comments regarding some statements that were made by Brigham Young on February 7, 1852. And that reference there is to a speech that Brigham Young gave to the Utah legislature. What did Wilford Woodruff write in his diary regarding this, Eric? The Lord said, I will not kill Cain, but I will put a mark upon him, and it is seen in the face of every Negro on the earth. And it is the decree of God that that mark shall remain upon the seed of Cain, and the curse remain until all the seed of Abel should be redeemed. And Cain will not receive the priesthood until, or salvation until, All the seed of Abel are redeemed. Any man having one drop of the seed of Cain in him cannot hold the priesthood. And if no other prophet ever spake it before, I will say it now in the name of Jesus Christ. I know it is true, and they know it. Now, notice what he's saying here. He hears Brigham Young make very similar statements to this, and this is the conclusion he draws. Now, I have to ask you, Eric. Did you think that Wilford Woodruff, in writing this in his diary, thought that Brigham Young was just giving mere opinions and that they were not something that other members of the church should believe as well? We don't get that hint at all. See, this is why I have a real problem. Whenever you're talking about the race issue in Mormonism, especially with the prohibition on the priesthood, you have Latter-day Saints want to argue, well, it was just a policy. It was never a doctrine. It was just a policy. It was never a doctrine. But yet, when these leaders speak... They don't speak like that. When Brigham Young makes these statements in front of the Utah legislature, he is the president of the church. Now, he may not be speaking in general conference at that time, but you would think that what he is saying is something that he believes comes from the Lord. I don't think Brigham Young got up there and stood before the Utah legislature and prefaced his remarks by saying, eh, I just want to give you a few of my opinions, guys. This isn't really binding, but this is what I think. Well, we certainly don't get the impression Wilford Woodruff thought that because of the way he's writing it down in his diary. But, Bill, uh, what leader has ever said, it's my opinion? They always speak as if they're talking authoritatively, whether they're speaking from General Conference pulpit, whether they're talking at BYU, whether they're at a conference of of just local leaders. I'm going to tell you, I've never heard them say something that it didn't seem like that's what they really believed to be doctrinally true. And it certainly wouldn't be the case where a leader would get up and say, well, this is my opinion, and it just happens to contradict everything that other church leaders have said on this subject. They just don't operate that way. 
what we have here is this idea in Mormonism that one drop, and that's what Wilford Woodruff said, relating it from what he heard by Brigham Young, that one drop is going to disqualify an individual from holding the priesthood. And that's an idea that carried on clear down to, we know, to the 1950s in a speech that was given by Mark E. Peterson, an LDS apostle, called Race Problems as They Affect the Church. He used that same exact analogy, that one drop of, quote, Negro blood and how that would disqualify an individual. And this is why he felt that it was wrong to intermarry. And he says so in that speech. He makes a very strong point about this. Chinese should marry Chinese. Japanese should marry Japanese. Blacks should marry blacks. So we see that this problem is affecting the church here in the 1920s. Now, what did the Plessy decision really do? Now, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but basically, it's where we get the phrase separate but equal. And it was a decision that came down in 1896 as the book correctly notes by the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, and it said the case stemmed from an 1892 incident in which an African-American train passenger, Homer Plessy, refused to sit in a car for black people. Very, very similar to what happened later on with Rosa Parks. So we find Plessy is doing the same thing. This thing goes clear to the Supreme Court. According to the article in History.com, it said, After the Compromise of 1877 led to the withdrawal of federal troops from the South, Democrats consolidated control of state legislatures throughout the region, effectively marking the end of Reconstruction. Now, the Compromise of 1877 had something to do with the election of Rutherford B. Hayes, who was a Republican. And the Democrats made a deal, because there was controversy over his election, they made this deal to where they could get the federal troops to leave the South and effectively bring to an end, as this article that I just cited said, it brings an end to the Reconstruction period, which was really a bad thing for the South. So what happens? The Democrats are in power, and they're going to wield their racism and so this is the problem that they're discussing here. So now we read this on page 245 in this book, Saints, at the top of the page. Few people in the United States or elsewhere believe black and white people should mingle socially. There's no poll that's cited to draw that conclusion, but we probably could assume that a lot of people felt that way. And we would think, as I brought out in yesterday's show, that this would also include Latter-day Saints. They probably felt that way as well, perhaps because of doctrines such as what I just read from Wilford Woodruff, who was citing Brigham Young. Bill, when that says few people, that to me sounds maybe less than 50%, no precise numbers given. We looked at the footnotes. There's no information whatsoever as to where they got that. Now, it could be true, as you're saying, or something is amiss because I th remiss because I think there are a lot of people in the United States and elsewhere who did have social contacts with people of, of black skin. So it's just kind of frustrating that they give us a footnote that doesn't give us any ability to know what that is saying besides an opinion statement. I, I think you're right. And, and that's the problem that I have with a lot of the footnotes in this book, because it's usually just a reference to a book of some sort or an article. And if you don't have that article, you don't know where did they get this. They don't give a citation from the article. 
that they're pointing to. Let's be serious. A lot of Latter-day Saints probably don't own a lot of the books that are cited. The next paragraph says, In the church, wards and branches were officially open to all people, regardless of race. Yet not all congregations agreed. In 1920, black Latter-day Saints Marie and William Graves were welcome and fully integrated members of their branch in California. When Marie visited a branch in the southern United States, however, she was asked to leave because of the color of her skin. Quote, I never had nothing to hurt me like that in all of my life, uh, end quote, she wrote in a letter to President Grant. So here's what's really interesting, and probably a lot of people would not think that that would be true in an organization that is run from the top down. You would think that something like this should not happen in the church. If it was okay for a black member to be a member in good standing and accepted as a member in California, why would it not be true for someone to have that same kind of a status in the southern states? But apparently there is a disparity between the two, and we're going to continue looking at this in tomorrow's show. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism. Have you ever wondered where you can go in the Salt Lake Valley to browse one of the largest inventories of books that'll help you defend the Christian faith? The answer is the Utah Christian Research Center, located at 579 West Galena Park Place in Draper, Utah. The center is open Wednesday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at utahchristianresearchcenter.com. utahchristianresearchcenter.com.